Well, good morning. I am I'm just so excited to, to be a part of, of this morning's service and having the opportunity to to be able to the best of my ability with God's help to 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 give and present God's grace and truth. Um, so, so so once again, so thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful that Pastor Tony is out relaxing and fishing um, and allowing me to to occupy this this uh, this platform. I want to this morning keep in the in the flow of where Pastor Tony has led this in the past few weeks and this whole idea of the pathway of holiness. And if you will uh, grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter five, verses one through twelve. Um, we will be in that passage a, a lot. I will be re- referring to it, pointing to it, so it's good that you have it. So uh, use your Bible, use your cell phone. Um, it, it will be on the screen for a little while, but it's probably important that you kind of just keep your, your eyes on the Word. No doubt in the past few weeks, as Pastor Tony has led, this, led us through the pathway of holiness, we understand, you understand, right, that holiness is it's all about Jesus. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs> there you are. All right. I can barely see you, all the lights. You know. so, so holiness is all about Jesus. It's all about this relationship and intimate, intimacy with Jesus, God in the flesh. And in this relationship and intimacy with Jesus, this, this experience of holiness... Uh, There's this thing that takes place as we interact with our creator and he interacts with us. Uh, There's this seeking after him. Oh, of course, Jesus has come before. Jesus has met us before we met him. But in this relationship, this intimacy of holiness, there's this seeking after him. And if we truly seek after him with our heart and our mind, he reveals himself. He reveals himself to us. And the only thing that God has ever required from us, listen, the only thing that God has ever required from us is that we would respond. That we'd be a a people that would have our hearts open, our minds open to him. He shows himself to us and that we would respond to that revelation. That's holiness. That's experiencing holiness. What are some other ways to talk about holiness? Holiness is kind of like a dance. Y'all have been dancing before, right? And I'm talking about the appropriate kind. (laughs) Holiness is like a dance. It's this dance. It's this dancing relationship of this God creator, Jesus, and us. And we're, we're locked together. And he's leading us in this flow of what it means to be holy what it means to be his, what it means to be led by him. It's a dance. And as you know, when you first tried out dancing, there was a lot of hiccups, right? There was a lot of stepping on each other's feet. There's a lot of, oh, I lost grip. Uh, I'm not going the same direction as the, other, the, my, my, the person I'm dancing with is. But in time, as God continues to lead us in that dance, we become one. And, we, and, and everyone that sees the dance 
sees this oneness between the two people who are dancing. So much so that it's almost as if it's just one person dancing. That's holiness. Another example of that is passion. Holiness is passion. Your passion for God and his passion for you and the passion that he has living in your life where it grows, it compels you for passion towards others. There's strength in holiness. And when we talk about strength, we're talking about the strength of God in our lives that produces this holiness in our world. But what comes along with holiness, church, is mission. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's the title of our church. Huh? That's cool. We're at an advantage. <laughs> yeah, raise the game. But yeah, thanks. So it's mission. It's ministry. The outflow of holiness as we interact with this holy God is this mission in ministry. Well, I'm only assuming that by now you've turned to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And so I'm going to go ahead and read that uh, for us this morning. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against, uh, against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they were persecuted, say the same way they were persecuted, the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. And Lord, my prayer is that everyone in this sanctuary in this room, that we would open up our hearts and our minds to your transforming work. That you, through these words this morning, that this would be the moment that you continue to prepare us to not only embrace your kingdom, but prepare us for the kingdom's ministry. So prepare our hearts and our minds. Make us into the people that you created and called us to be. Amen. So if you look at the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, what you'll find is, is that in the, 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 Matthew's, the Gospel account of Matthew, uh, Jesus' Sermon is in chapter 5, 6, and 7. Now if you look a little, a little closer, what you'll realize is that the first 12 verses is kind of like the intro. But it's more than just an intro to his sermon. Uh, the intro to his sermon 
is more of like the heart, the flow, the heartbeat of what he was trying to communicate. So the first 12 verses. And then from chapter 5, verse 13, all the way through uh, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, Jesus addresses things like salt and light, to be the salt and light of the world. He addresses how to, how to fulfill the law that God gave. He talks about murder. He talks about adultery. He talks about divorce. He talks about oath. Let your yeses be yes and your noes be noes. Be truthful. Be honest. He talks about eye for an eye. Hey, that world, that climate, they, hey, that was the rule. And he's saying, hey, this, there's a better way. He, yeah, Jesus talked about loving your enemies, giving to those who are in need. He talked about prayer. He talked about fasting. He talked about treasures in heaven, not on earth. He talked about, hey, don't worry about your life, but be concerned and, sing, and focused on the, on the kingdom. He talked about judging others. He talked about, hey, here's, here's the act of responding to God. Hey, ask, seek, and knock. He talked about the narrow and wide gates. He talked about the true and false prophets and true and false disciples. And then he finished up his sermon with the wise and foolish builders. So Jesus, in this sermon on this mount, he talks about a lot of different things. But I want to focus this morning on the heartbeat of his sermon, which is the first 12 verses. The way I'm going to talk about it is in, this, in these four ways. One, the setting. Two, the substance. Three, the sequence. And four, I know you're, you're excited, right? You ready for the fourth one? The style. And so how we're going to talk about this is we're going to talk about the setting of the kingdom. We're going to talk about the substance of the kingdom. We're going to talk about the sequence of the kingdom. And we're going to talk about the style of the kingdom. So let's first start with the setting. By this time, Jesus' ministry is starting to rev up. It's early on in in Gospel of Matthew. It's early on in his three-year ministry, but it's starting to rev up. And the reason why we know this is because there's a big, large crowd just kind of collecting around him. They're following him. I'm only assuming, it doesn't say here, I'm only assuming there were moments where Jesus was like, dude, everyone, get away. You know? And so, um, so yeah, so... uh, First service, they left. I don't know what's your guys' problem. So, anyways, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, so the, his ministry's revving up. There's, there's people collecting, and they're, they're hearing it. They want to hear everything he has to say. They want to see who is this Jesus. They're, they want to see what he's doing. Why he's, they've heard stories about miracles, and they want to see that take place as well. So there's a lot of people coming around and collecting around him. Uh, most scholars believe that this Sermon on the Mount wasn't just like a service like we have, which is, hey, your service is an hour, and preacher, do not preach more than 30 minutes. If you can't say in 20, you shouldn't be preaching, right? That wasn't this type of sermon. This sermon was, seriously, seriously, no, no, nothing, nothing, okay. So the, the sermon was like, scholars believe, was over a three-day period. And so there's people who are camping out. They're, they're giving their, their, their lives, their day uh, to Jesus and what he is up to. And he's communicating with them. What's really important to understand about this, this, uh, this, this setting is that um, Jesus, in this sermon, he was talking to everyone that could hear him. And, and they were listening in. But Jesus was talking directly to the disciples. And so the question is, is why was Jesus talking directly to the disciples? I mean, everyone could hear him. Right? He's up on the side of the mountain. Uh, the mountain's significant. We don't have time for that. 
He was sitting down on the mountain. That's significant on why Jesus was sitting, not standing. We don't have time for that. But he was speaking, and everyone could hear him, but Jesus was directly talking to the disciples in the sermon. And so the question, once again, is like, well, why was he directly talking to the disciples? Well, you can look through the sermon and realize that Jesus, at the beginning of this ministry, was preparing the disciples for ministry. He was saying, hey, you've got to get in on this. Your life needs to be transformed by this. And not only that, but I'm going to lead you into a mission of the kingdom. I'm going to lead you into a ministry of the kingdom and just give you a heads up. This is what it's going to feel like. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to taste like. This is what you're going to encounter. This is what's going to happen in your life. So it was like the first ever like discipleship training conference. That was the setting. Now, of course, Jesus' message in this sermon was all about the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Well, of course, we can hear that and say, and we can come up with a bunch of ideas of what we think the kingdom is. What is the kingdom? Well, when you hear about the kingdom, or like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which is all talking about the same thing, what the, the scriptures is talking about is not a territory, a place. Uh, it is more... They're talking about a presence. So when you hear in the scriptures the, the kingdom, we're talking about the presence of God. And so Jesus was talking to the disciples about the presence of God. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. The church needs to hear that these days. That it's, I mean, it, listen, it just, I cringe inside when people get up front in a church and say, hey, it's not about the church and these walls. <laughs> you know. And I understand why they say that. They're like, hey, we need to get out there. Yeah, that's right. We need to get out there. It's not about the church as a physical church. But I cringe because we are the church. We're coming together and we're worshiping together. But it's about the kingdom. It's about the presence of God. And uh, this kingdom perspective that Jesus was communicating to disciples went against social norms. Of the day. It went against social norms of the day. So, how people felt like or believed it was the norm of that this is how we are to live our life, the kingdom went against this. It also went against the religious Old Testament norms of the day. Um, the kingdom perspective, the Spirit of God. No doubt, when Jesus preached on this kingdom and its uh, mission and ministry, there was a sweet balance of grace and truth. So often today, we have a lot of, a lot of grace. We show a lot of grace, but not a lot of truth. Or we show a lot of truth and not much grace. And Jesus was preparing the disciples and saying, hey, the kingdom and its mission and its ministry is all about God doing something inside of you to, your, to his world. And that grace and truth flow out of this. That has just knocked my socks off this year. And it just helps for, uh, just to gain a perspective of how a lot of times as a church we are so far off on one end or the other end of the spectrum. That's the setting of the kingdom. The second, the substance. The substance of the kingdom is why 
uh, why the kingdom exists. It's the reason why the kingdom is moving. It's the reason why God, Jesus was inviting and instructing and leading the disciples into the kingdom. It's the substance. It's the heart. It's the flow. It's the spirit of God. If you look in these first 12 verses, what you will find is, is in these 12 verses, there are nine blessed statements. You see them? Nine blessed statements. And each one of these nine, it fits the same kind of flow on how the, the statements are structured. There's three parts to them. Uh, for instance, if you look at verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This has three parts to it. The first part, blessed are, has to do with presence. The second part, hunger and thirst, has to do with position. And the third part is, will be filled has to do with product or, or an outcome. So let's look back at this thing. So in each one of, each nine of the, each nine statements, it has the same kind of flow in these three parts. And in verse 6, what Jesus tells the disciple is, is that blessed are those who the presence of God is upon. See, when the word blessed or any form of that word blessing is in scriptures, more times than not, it's talking about the presence of God there's a few times, if you look in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, that the word blessing is used of to, to, um, to describe being lucky. Mary uses that in her song after the Spirit of God comes upon her and impregnates her, right? She says, I am lucky to be this person that God has chosen. Uh, there's another blessing word which it talks about just being, I'm blessed because of what God has given me, material-like, Right? But more times than not in scriptures, when the word blessing and its forms are used, it almost exclusively talks about the presence of God. So Jesus, in verse 6, talking to the disciples, says, You are blessed if the presence of God is upon you. And when the presence of God is upon you, he is going to position you. He's going to move you. Well, move you into what? Position you into what? He's going to position you to be a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. What's righteousness? It's right relationship with God. He's going to, make, he's going to, he's going to move you. He's going to position you to have desire of relationship with, with him. It has the whole idea of just true hunger and true thirst. Like I can't live unless I have this. So the presence of God is upon me. It positions me to where I have, in my life, I must have God. I'm hungry for relationship with God. So if the presence is upon you, and he positions you to hunger and thirst for relationship with him, what is the, what's the byproduct or the outcome? You will be filled. And you will be filled with his presence. Yeah, there you go. I, honestly, seriously, I look at you guys, and I, I don't think you're convinced. So let's look at verse um, 8, for example. You're not convinced that this is, this is really true. Okay. Verse 8. Blessed are, the, or bless here, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. First part, the presence. Blessed are. The second part, pure in heart. The idea of pure in heart has to do with uh, it's an inner type thing that God is transforming my life. He's purifying me. And so that's the position that he, he puts me in. What's the outcome of that? What's the byproduct of that? 
we will see God. That's the outflow. So in each night of these statements, you have this breakup. You have this flow of the substance of the kingdom. The substance of the kingdom, the substance of the mission of the kingdom, the substance of ministry is his presence. And it's his presence within us that moves us and and makes us, positions us, it makes us into the type of person where there's a kingdom outflow or product. Jesus was telling them about this, the substance of the kingdom. So we looked at setting. We looked at substance. Now let's look at sequence. Now with the sequence, what do you mean, Pastor West, by sequence? Well, sequence means experience. What's the experience of the kingdom? And for this portion, I want to propose something. Okay, I want to propose something. So you don't have to buy into this. uh, But I'm going to propose that Jesus was was sharing something with us in terms of what we will experience when we dive into the kingdom and its mission and ministry. This proposal of the sequence focuses in on the second part of each one of those nine blessed statements. Okay, It focuses in on the position. For instance, ride with me here. Pure in spirit. When we dive into the kingdom of God, when God leads us into its mission and into its ministry, what I would like to propose to you is the first thing that will happen to us, and this is what Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, preparing for the ministry, the first thing that's going to happen to you is that you're going to become pure, sorry, poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means spiritual bankruptcy. Did you get that? Pure in spirit means, Jesus said, you're going to be spiritually bankrupt. Do you want to be a part of the kingdom? Do you want to be a part of its mission and its ministry? You need to spiritually bankrupt yourself. Of course, this has everything to do with dependency. We need to spiritually bankrupt ourselves so that we become dependent on God. Well, then what happens after you become spiritually bankrupt? Jesus says, just the proposal, okay? Jesus says that you will mourn. And this has to do with from sin to salvation. But Pastor West, I thought when you become saved, it's awesome, it's glorious, it's happy, it's joyful. It is. You understand that there is a mourning process once you enter into salvation. Right? Because you mourn. Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, you're going to mourn the life that you've just left. The life that you just once had. The life that was, it was your life. It, this is what you depended on. This is the way you functioned. And now you're literally bankrupting that. And now you're going to go through a process of mourning it. Well, Jesus says, after you experience that mourning, what's going to happen to you? Well, disciples, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to become meek or humble. Disciples, you're not going to be in control. And actually, disciples, it's going to be actually a, a, you're going to have a real true sense of what freedom really is. It's not going to feel like freedom. It's going to feel awkward. You've never lived this way before. You've never lived in that. But it is true freedom. And not only is it freedom, not only you experience freedom, but you will also experience the freedom from malice. 
Now, I know it's not none of you at this church, right? None of us here at Mission Church, right? But it's all the other churches out there. What would that mean if churches, not here, but there, would, would experience this? And, they, and churches found freedom from malice. And then people would come into it, and they would see and experience that. So Jesus continued on and says, hey, disciples, after you become meek, guess what's, what's going to, next going to happen to you? You're going to, be, you're going to become hungry and thirsty for me. You become spiritually bankrupt. You've mourned from what, the life you just left. You, it, this humbles you. You're not in control. There's a newfound freedom in this. God is, is, is t- t- taking away. He's, he's ripping off the malice from your life and your heart. But now, since you have nothing, you're going to hunger and thirst because you were created for to have. And so, of course, this has to do with desire and seeing and speaking and doing. This has, to, this has the idea of hunger and thirsting after righteousness, hunger and thirsting after relationship with God. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I need your spirit in my life. I need you to, I need you to be my identity. I need you to be my life. Spiritually bankrupt. What flows out of this, if I may share quickly, is that uh, Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, you will become a person who will grieve in the sight of unrighteousness. You will hunger and thirst after Jesus. You'll hunger after me. You'll hunger and thirst after righteousness and that relationship so much. And it will become so much a part of your life that when there is unrighteousness, you will grieve. And what if we were to... We would go through this sequence of experience where we grieve unrighteousness outside of our church and inside of it. Jesus continues on and says, hey, not only will you hunger and thirst, but then this will lead you into being merciful. You'll be compassionate towards others. This mercy will lead you personally into freedom from guilt. And by the way, this merciful life is not casual. You don't, Jesus, like disciples, when we get into this ministry, you will not get to pick and choose who you're merciful to. This is the nature of the kingdom. You will be merciful to others. It's not casual. Jesus continued on and says, hey, after that, you will you'll experience the pure in heart. We talked about that just a few moments ago where there's this inner purity. But see, when this inner, inner purity happens, when God begins to transform your life, it begins to refocus your life and who you are. You begin to live a life that's very single-mindedness. It's, it's about the kingdom. It's about Jesus. It's about who he is and what he can do in and through me. And you live this single-minded life where if there's other things that's a part of your life, whether it's good or bad, they may, be, they may entangle you. They may be a distraction. And you're willing just to, hey, this, I'm about the kingdom. I'm about its mission. I'm about its ministry. I'm going to rip off these things that are in the way that keeps me from the single-mindedness, which is I'm about the kingdom. Pure in heart. People will know who you are. You're transparent. You're exactly who, who you say you are. You're exactly who you show. There's no like, I live this way at church and I, don't live, and I live this way somewhere else. You're pure in heart. You're, 
They know you. They know what you're all about. You are single-minded. Your mind is not split into two things. James talks about this a lot, and he uses the example of a ship in the sea. Jesus continues on and says, after pure heart, you become a peacemaker. This means that you'll have peace with God. You have, you, you will, you'll live a life where you have peace with others. You'll begin to live out the gospel. And you will be a person, and your mission, and your ministry is to always seek out reconciliation in all situations. Which means you're not a zero to hundred person. Well, I got offended. They said this about me. They were not nice. Don't judge me. No zero to hundred. In all things, whether good or bad, you are a part of the kingdom. You're a part of the nature of the kingdom. And you are always looking, you're always seeking out reconciliation in all situations. Well, Jesus continues on, talks as he's, as he's uh, focusing on the disciples, and he says, after you become a peacemaker, just, just a proposal, by the way, folks. Once you become a peacemaker, disciples, be prepared, because what comes next is that you will be persecuted. But it's just not persecution like, I don't like you, I don't like what you have to say, I don't agree with you, you don't, you're Republican, I'm Democrat, it's not that. The type of persecution that Jesus is warning disciples of is that you will be persecuted as a peacemaker. You'll be persecuted over righteousness. That you're living this life of righteousness. That the righteousness of God is flowing through your life and people will persecute you for it. And here's the thing. I don't know if you guys will agree with me. But this happens within the church. That people are part of the kingdom and its mission and its ministry. They're literally the demonstration of what grace and truth is. And even people within the church will persecute. And Jesus warned the disciples of that because they were persecuted within their own religious circles. They were not welcomed. Jesus continues on this theme of persecution within the sequence, and he says, look, when you're persecuted, this is what you're going to experience. Hey, disciples, you're going to experience this. You're going to, be, you're going to experience being slandered. You're going to experience being insulted. You're going to be experience being defriend. So the people that love you and you love them, they're going to defriend you because of who you are. The reality talk is, is that when the kingdom of God, when the presence of God moves in our lives, he fills us with his grace and truth. See, grace and truth is not what Jesus has. It's, it's, it's who he is. And when he fills our lives and he begins to move in our lives, our lives are literally the demonstration of that grace and truth. And sometimes people, and they, and people need to experience our grace. People need to experience the grace of the church. But you know what? People, folks out there that do not know Christ, you know what they really, really need? In grace, they need to know the truth. And they need to know the truth whether they accept it or not. And whether they persecute you or not. Or whether they insult you or not. 
say all kinds of things about you. And Jesus' response at the very end of this beginning portion of his sermon, his response, he says, hey, disciples, when you experience this persecution in the midst of this sequence of this experience, when you experience it, your response to all this is to do one thing. Verse 11, you got you there? Your one response in the midst of all this is to rejoice. Rejoice that God is moving in your life and that he's revealing himself through you to his world. Rejoice. I know it's hard. I know it's... But rejoice. Because the kingdom of God is near. Rejoice. The setting. The substance. The sequence. And now the style. When I say the style, what I really mean is... is what does all this look like? Right? Are you asking that question as well? What does it look like? Well, the style of what Jesus is talking about and what he shared with the disciples on that mountain, he says the very essence of the kingdom ministry, the mission and the ministry is me. It's like a cause, right? The kingdom, its mission. It's ministry is like is a cause. But see, it's not a it's not a cause that we can create. It's a cause that God is it's his movement. It's 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 a cause that's not dependent upon our strength and our passion. It's not dependent upon our preference, church. It's not dependent upon our comfortability. It's not it's not dependent upon our our performance and our will. But the style of the kingdom is, is, this cause is all about his strength. It's all about his passion. It's all about him performing. It's all about his priority. It's all about what he, his will. The style of the kingdom is like a vehicle. We're the car. We're cars. And the Spirit of God fills that and drives it. The car doesn't drive itself. The Spirit of God gets in. We're not drivers. We're not passengers, front seat passengers. We're not back seat drivers. We're just saying, hey, look, fill me and drive me to where you're going. That's a terrible example. Um, <laughs> the style of the kingdom, it's like a vessel. We actually sang one of our songs that talks about that, right? It's a vessel. The style of the kingdom is that we're vessels. We're, we're these jars. And whether you want to focus on the fact that the jar is broken or not, so be it. The style of the kingdom is that we are a jar that's being flowed. The spirit of God flows in us, fills us, and spills out of us. And all we are to do is just to be the vessel. That's the setting, the substance, and the, the sequence, and the, and the style. Uh, I think I think I'll give one more example as the band prepares us for a response. Um, the last example I have of the style is uh, a platform, and to be a part of the kingdom church. And all that it is, being transformed and being moved and being used by the kingdom, 
We are a platform. And Jesus is the one who stands on it and dances on our backs. We are to just allow him to perform to his world through us. So my question for you, uh, for us, Mission Church, is just like Jesus was on this mountain sitting there, lots of people listening, and he was directly talking to the disciples and said, hey, this is the nature of the kingdom, right? This is, this is the setting you're getting yourself into. This is the substance of the kingdom. This is what you're going to experience, the sequence. And this is the style. This is what it looks like. And as Jesus was describing it to his disciples up on that mountain, the question still remains, even to this day, Pentecost Sunday to us, which is, do we want this? Do you want it? Do we want it? And so uh, I believe Pastor Jeff is going to come up and give some instructions like he, uh, ha- he has in the past about how we can respond. And uh, I'm gonna, I'll leave it to him to give more instructions. But what I want to leave with you is, is um, as we participate in these different ways of responding, can we ask that question in our heart and mind and ask God, God, how would you have me respond because I desire to be a part of this kingdom and its mission and its ministry. And I need you. Hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for I thank you for your church, Lord. Yeah, I, I know Mission Church is already exist this for this reason but but god can can mission church be literally the setting at which you you perform us as a mission church could could we just bankrupt ourselves as individuals and as a whole as a church just bankrupt ourselves and allow the substance of your spirit to fill us to move us May we be willing to go through the sequence of what it means to be transformed and to be prepared for true ministry out in our world. May we go through it. Lord, I pray that everyone out there that doesn't know you that they see in us as individuals, but they see in us, more importantly, as a church, as a mission church, about the ministry of the kingdom. They say, we like their style. Not their preference, time of service, opportunities, entertainment, although all those things are good. The people of this city say, we love the style mission church the style of the kingdom and so Lord we leave it up to us I mean, we leave it up to you to move and speak to us in this moment that we take advantage of this moment that we respond to what you have for us and your truth that we once again dedicate our lives to 
who you are in your ministry. We'll give you praise for whatever takes place. We love you, Jesus.